all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 337 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Soviet Union Rifle Division episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that back in August of 1941, a uh, Red Army Rifle Division was formed at Astrakhan. That rifle division was the 337th Rifle Division with that wonderful little bit of Soviet Red Army Rifle Division knowledge, I of course am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Too bad we're not covering Barishnikov. Indeed. To go along with our, our Russian-themed uh, opening, show opening. Ah, well, maybe another time. And I guess we'll figure out when that time is. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> How the hell are you, sir? I am doing well. No complaints on this end. How are you doing, Matthew? Hey, you know, they tell me I'm going to make it, and I guess that's better than the alternative, right? Of kind of making it? Sure, or not making it all. Oh, well, that's depressing. In the See? In the land of movie musicals, there aren't things depressing, and... Unfortunately, after this episode... Oh, well, I guess we're moving, or you're moving, into the Dark Knight trilogy or the Batman films, which can get a little depressing, I suppose. You're going to be smacked in the face, audience, with real-world superhero problems. This is true. We do. We move from our That's Entertainment series into the final episodes of the last Batman Standing series, where Blaine has decided to graciously... uh, complete that well we say complete because obviously next year we've got the batman coming out so uh, you know we'll just i guess be caught up um by the end of the last batman standing series at the end of next month it's of course blaine originally known as johnny white trash now i guess he just goes by blaine yes even even the twitter handle nowadays is it's blaine now johnny's dead so what are you gonna do uh it's, it's it's yeah but uh it is Blaine, the artist formerly known as Johnny White Trash, <laughs> as it were. Uh, that's even better than just Johnny White Trash. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but uh, since we are completing the That's Entertainment series now, I guess do we want to dive right in, or is there any anything fun and exciting you'd like to talk about first? I don't have anything. I mean, no, I don't either. I, I'd say. Let's dive in. Okay. Well, just for the record, if you're hearing this on the day that it comes out, be sure to reach out and wish me a happy birthday. Oh, this is the... This is my birthday. The birthday episode. It is. It is. And be sure to also include your nuptial wishes to Tim and the fully upgraded SO, because that will officially have happened uh, about five days ago from the dropping of this episode. So there's lots of things that are going on that we'll be able to talk about, but not now because, well, it's just now happening, right? And Exactly, yeah. I'm getting married. I'm on my honeymoon as we speak. That's right. Possibly. The wonders of technology. (laughs) 
And I'm and I'll be celebrating my Douglas Adams birthday. So what's up now? And and if you don't know what that means, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and you'll you'll figure it out. So let's do it here, folks. That's Entertainment Three. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, creator of the greatest movie musicals, brings you the ultimate musical entertainment in one motion picture. That's Entertainment 3. Follow the complete story of the MGM musical. From the early talkies to the golden age. In fully restored Technicolor and six-track stereophonic sound. Relive your favorite performances, as well as discover never-before-seen sequences lost in the MGM vaults for over 40 years. With more stars than there are in the heavens. Sweeping romance. Dazzling spectacle. And a toe-tapping collection of songs that'll leave your heart singing. It's the motion picture event of a lifetime. That's Entertainment 3. All right, this time, directed by the editors proper, we have uh, Bud Freegan and Michael J. Sheridan there bringing us the 1994 American documentary film. This one, of course, still released through MGM, and it was actually in line for the 70th anniversary. Now, this is the third and final retrospective uh, in, the, in the series of That's Entertainment, and of course, with its, you know, redheaded stepchild or its cousin, That's Dancing. Um, and this is also marks the final film appearance in any way, shape, or form. The final movie appearance for Gene Kelly. Um, this was kind of done as a, not last ditch, but I think the true swan song to this era of filmmaking and the style that was popularized in 1974. Uh, you have to remember that the first one was 1974, uh, That's Entertainment Part 2 was 1976, and then it took this 18-year break, the only, that, again, with 1985's That's Dancing kind of shoehorning itself in, but not officially being part of the That's Entertainment canon. And a lot of the reason was because by 1994, they... They, you didn't really need that anymore. You had the you had the pr proliferation of cable. You had VHS. You had DVD on the horizon. Um, you currently even could get into Laserdisc if you were so inclined. If you were on the bleeding edge of that, um, you've got video rental. So there were 
tons of ways to reconnect with your love of the MGM studio era, whether it was musicals, dancing, or just general movie making. And so you didn't quite need this anymore. And so despite that, they still wanted to kind of send that final love letter from that from the golden age of Hollywood. And they did that by incorporating scenes that had not been released in any way, shape, or form up to that time. So you've got uh, stuff from like Fred Astaire, you've got stuff from Sid Charisse, you've got stuff from uh, even like Lucille, the likes of Lucille Ball and Judy Garland, who, for instance, was originally cast as Annie and Annie Get Your Gun, but due to some health issues, uh, basically a mental breakdown. She had only filmed a couple of, uh, a few scenes and only two musical numbers for the film. And so those were not made available. They actually got them from the vault and now you get to see these performances in this film. And it's not just that that they do that with. Again, they, they pull from, uh, various eras and give you performances and musical numbers that you hadn't seen before. So I thought that was a really cool touch. Uh, the film was again well received. They did, uh, they did the final red carpet thing for them and everything. I mean, it really was kind of like giving you, giving you Hollywood as it once was and to a degree that truly hadn't happened really since the first, um, that's entertainment. And even then it was considered a throwback to the fifties. They have a lot of things going on. I, I also think that they had learned a lot from the way that um at the time AMC would have been looked at and now and the up and coming and developing TCM uh that was relatively new. I want to say TCM kind of broke onto the scene in 1992. Uh Robert Osborne was actually a part of the filming. Here he was actually on set with um Gene Kelly in his final scenes for the for, for the for the shoot. Uh, I think he also said he was on set with Sid Charisse as well. I'm, I'm not 100% on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you also have, like, Esther Williams had finally made up with the studio enough to the point that she actually gets to appear in this film, so that was kind of cool. It's really neat. They They learned what would work. They did not recreate the segments that had you saw in That's Entertainment 2. And instead, really kind of showcased things you hadn't seen before. And I think, again, with the back lot as a big draw for these stars, they were using the original studios and the original recording sessions and, and areas that kind of lended itself to the prestige of what it was they were talking about. And so it makes this film really stand out. It's definitely on par in terms of its production value and presentation as that's entertainment. Unfortunately, <laughs> and this is a pretty big unfortunately for me, um, every one of these films has been at least two hours, including That's Dancing. And so after... A combined total of nearly nine hours of watching this stuff, um, with the exception of That's Dancing, because while That's Dancing did touch on these same things, they at least tried to branch out. 
I get that, you know, Gene Kelly was a force. I get that Esther Williams was a force and Fred Astaire was a force. Sid Charisse, Judy Garland. I understand that truly. Um, and in their own way, I, I can also sympathize with the fact that you can never understate the power that these individuals had on the modern musical or the golden age of Hollywood. Also fine, I get that. But at the same time, I would like to see something else. I would like to see, you know, I I would like to see Marlene Dietrich more. I would like to see more of Marion Davis. Uh, You got a small glance of Doris Day in part two. You get at least the bulk of one musical number of Doris Day in part, in three. Um, but maybe more. How about give us more of June Allison? How about show us the entirety of the Lucille Ball number that you, that you hint at? Yes. Give us, you know, you, you did so well with showing off certain aspects of like Elvis Presley and things of that nature. Um, but, but give us, more we already know the importance that fred astaire had that gene kelly had that sid charise had we we get it but i've kind of seen enough of them and it just seems like this is all they had um which is clearly not the case and it just kind of grind it just really ground me down and I was kind of bored with it and done with it. Um, which is sad to say because I think that the film, even despite this major issue that I have with it, still has value. And I think it's still worth watching. And I don't want to say, eh, just pass on it. But at the same time, perhaps maybe give yourself some time. If you've been like following along with us um, and, and maybe you're listening to us and then you watch the movie, um, maybe give yourself a couple weeks, uh, you know, take, take a break. Don't watch them so quickly and closely together to kind of give you that mental break that you need so that you can come back. Um, I don't know, Tim, how, I mean, I heard that yes in there. So how, I mean, especially when it came to like Lucille Ball. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I find the history of Lucille Ball in movie musicals absolutely fascinating. I only wish this film, that's Entertainment 3, not only focused more on Lucille Ball in musicals, but also focused on, as you said, June Allison, um, the Ross sisters, all the other... uh, Well, the Ross sisters was technically a novelty act. They were the ones who were the contortionists. Right. You know, like MGM was willing to give him a shot. So they gave, uh, they thought, well, if singers and dancers can entertain a crowd for two hours, why not contortionists and three beautiful ones to boot? But that didn't work out. And so they never broke into the contortionist movie limelight or, or whatever. So I would have liked to have seen more coverage on June Allison, the Ross sisters, Sid Charisse, who, according to Gene Kelly... He admired her for being a great dancer, probably more than most other female dancers. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more information on Ricardo Montalban. Believe it or not, Ricardo Montalban was a dancer and a singer. 
Who knew? I knew, but a lot of you, did you know? Probably not. So it would have been interesting to have heard more about him coming into the movie musical light. You hear a little bit more about Ann Miller, who is a very interesting human being. Uh, as she got older, she greatly outdated herself and a lot of the other older Hollywood actors around her. She was just stuck in that 1940s mindset. But Ann Miller, she was 14 years old when she signed on with RKO and was already a seasoned performer when she did Easter Parade for MGM. That's astounding. There are a lot of performers like Ann Miller out there, but you don't know about them. And I thought this would have been a great opportunity to talk about these more obscure names. And I'm only saying obscure names because Ann Miller, June Allison, Sid Charisse, they're not as popular. We don't think of them as some of the greatest entertainers from the 1940s, the 1950s, 1930s. When we think of Lucille Ball, we don't think of her as a singer or a dancer. We think of I Love Lucy. But no, one of my favorite movies of hers was not the long, long trailer with her and Desi Arnaz, but it was a 1943 comedy musical called Dewberry Was a Lady, starring Red Skelton, Gene Kelly, and Tommy Dorsey, as well as Lucille Ball. She plays the love interest. I loved that movie when I was a kid, and I was hoping between this film and even uh, That's Dancing, and I think you... You, you see a clip of her in either That's Entertainment 1 or, or, or 2. I was hoping they would go more into her stint as an actress, as a performer in movie musicals. And they don't. They don't. I would have loved to have seen more of Eleanor Powell. She's another name you don't hear as much as we probably should. And to me, at least, that is the greatest fault that this film has. It does a lot of other things right. It felt kind of like That's Dancing. It feels a little bit more like a proper documentary. And when you have stars, older stars coming on as the seasoned narrators, they're there with purpose. And they never overstay their welcome. I really like that. I mean, there's just something very charming about it still. I mean, when Lena Horne comes on, she is sitting on the scoring stage, the MGM scoring stage, which is now the Barbra Streisand scoring stage. She doesn't hold back. She talks about how rough it, how rough certain things were, how difficult it was to work with certain people. But she was always thankful, or she is thankful, for the job that she had. And all these stars would love to go back and redo it all over again. Because it was such an experience for them. Because they weren't just movie stars. These people were dancing, singing, and acting stars. The triple threat. And you don't see a triple threat like that anymore. I mean, every once in a while... I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, yeah, he's fantastic. There aren't that many, and we can't have Lin-Manuel Miranda star in every single movie musical that's going to come out between now and, uh, and Mary Poppins 5, 12 years from now. As I talked about briefly last week, this documentary focuses a little bit more on pre-code Hollywood cinema, and I appreciate That's Entertainment 3 Focusing, you know, setting the stage with 
this little bit of history. And it's important history to know because a lot of people don't realize that the birth of what we consider the family-friendly Hollywood movie musical is, in fact, the effect of how raunchy (laughs) movies and movie musicals were before there was a ratings code. It was just a very interesting time for movies in general, movie musicals in general. And the pre-code era, real quick, began at the advent of sound in 1929, and it lasted until uh, 1934. There was a film, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but they cover it in That's Entertainment 3, that really sent audiences over the limit. It featured all these young girls in taking baths and singing, and it was very erotic, and slowly, I believe, like, the bubbles go away, and you don't you don't see any boobs, but it's very sexy. Just the expressions on the women's faces, it's just like the ultimate tease, I'm sure it was, for the family man who was sitting in that theater along with their kids and, and their wives, you know, watching these women take sexual baths. That that film, I can't remember what it was called, sent audiences overboard, and they demanded, they demanded better films or they were going to boycott theaters. They were not going to go see another movie again. They want wholesome entertainment. So in 1934, the studio set out to make a film called Hollywood Party. And Hollywood Party was a film that was made to show audiences that the movies have finally embraced the wholesome fun of Hollywood and that they were going to be leaving all that sex off screen and it wasn't even going to be referenced. You know, just harmless love, harmless love without the sexual undertones. That'll all come back in full steam in the 1960s. And as another very interesting effect of all this, they were also looking for actors and certain songs that greatly embraced this newfound morality that MGM and other movie studios now adhered to. This is why we now have the wholesome produced Nelson Eddy operettas, Hollywood Party, as I mentioned before. In the late 1930s, we end up getting Judy Garland in her first starring role in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and, you know, just all these, you know, even the even before The Wizard of Oz, when she was still making those backyard movies with Mickey Rooney, a lot of these what we consider wholesome, family, fun, safe musicals, granted a lot of them were wonderfully produced, it was all the effect of crunchiness that came from the pre-code era and i very much appreciate that's entertainment 3 documenting that uh that cause and effect in such a way because again it just really sets the tone of how important some of these cause and effect situations work out and how they will drastically change an industry you know usually it's not for the best But in this case, it was actually for the best because it created more diversity, it created more talent, and it created a billion-dollar, or what would become a billion-dollar industry. And it would also become an art form, you know, universally embraced art form. This movie, of course, like most of the others, it does have an overture at the beginning. And Matt, I know you've been watching these films with your three daughters. Do you have them watch the overtures 
If so, do they understand the reasoning behind having an overture? Yes and yes. We, I explained to him at the first one what the overture was. So, um, and how it's there. It's designed to, you know, get you into the movie, kind of get you in the mood, help you understand the themes and stuff and kind of get you to, to know what to listen for when certain things are happening in the movies and stuff. And so to kind of keep them interested, um, especially at, by the time we're at this point in the series, I'm like, okay, you know, what movie do you think this is from? Or, what song is this and stuff like that? Because we have like all the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and everything. Um, and they've seen some other stuff on Netflix and Amazon and what have you. And, um, and then of course, because they will reference singing, you know, for example, they reference singing in the rain a lot. Um, so, so they'll kind of listen for those. And so, yeah, so I keep them interested in it by doing that. And we also almost had a very different That's Entertainment 3. When they were putting the film together, the studio made the recommendation of featuring all uh, younger, newer talent from the early 90s. Oh, God, could you imagine all the young talent from the 1990s, all the stars like uh, 90210, Saved by the Bell. They were wanting them to host this retrospective. And luckily it was the filmmakers who were like, no, no. We have these people still alive. I think this would be an absolute disgrace to not honor them in such a way. I'm just really glad that they brought in all the old all the old fogies to come back and and make part 3. One thing I would really like to have seen, especially for a film that came out in 1994, is that this one definitely shows the more problematic side of Hollywood musicals. Uh, I mean, they did it in That's Dancing and the first two That's Entertainment films. You saw blackface. You saw some things that we look at now as being culturally insensitive. But at the time, it was very cutesy and, you know, like pretending you're a Native American and really you shouldn't be acting like a Native American just because the song requires you to sing like a Native American and make up ridiculous Native American words, you know, regardless how many real Native Americans are dancing alongside you. That's Entertainment 3 definitely shows the more problematic side of Hollywood musicals, but I felt it was a missed opportunity to really go in depth and to shed maybe some light on how controversial all of this is perceived now. I know in That's Entertainment Part 3, uh, they featured Judy Garland, her deleted cut of I'm an Indian 2 from Manny Get Your Gun. And I'm blinking right now, but I do believe there were other little snippets that uh, featured blackface or featured something that would not sit well now. I mean, is this something that, I mean, again, I think all the, this kind of falls into doing something more with That's Entertainment 3 than they had done with any of the other films. Would you have liked to have seen them at least mentioning like, hey, this is deleted footage. This is a scene where at the time it was looked at as one of the best choreographed scenes or musical numbers. But now when we look on it or at it, there is some, you know, racial undertones that we need to acknowledge these days. Or do you think in 1994 people were still oblivious to all this? Because by the time this movie came out, I was like five, six years old or so. So I can't really place where the American psyche landed on racial undertones in old musicals. I mean, at this point in the 90s, people were really and truly willing to have the conversation on the whole. 
But it was the, say, 20-somethings, 30-somethings that were having it. Um, people in my age group, and I mean, in 1994, I was, what, 17? <laughs> so um, we were the ones feeling like we were combating it, you know. Um, and I really think that this movie was made for... Um, made to truly be enjoyed by the generation of generations of people who grew up with it. And that is why it is presented as such. And it is not denigrated, but it isn't also promoted per se. Um, and then they also present the, the content in a manner that says, Oh, this is just stuff that's never been released before. Um, because you'll notice that they didn't, especially like with Annie Get Your Gun, they showed the Indian song, I'm an Indian too, but they only showed Judy Garland just because it was her piece that had never been released before. They didn't then, they did not double down on it by contrasting it with the actual performance that was given in the movie. Right. Right. So, so that's how they kind of, I feel that they kind of justified the content itself because anyone other than the people in their, you know, forties, fifties, sixties would have immediately dropped the BS flag on the play. But I still enjoyed it, but it would probably be more enjoyable if you did not binge watch four documentaries virtually about the same thing. Yeah. And all of them being just about two hours, two hours plus. Yeah. And I mean, I even went so far as, you know, like really with the rating aspect of it for me, I really went as far as to give it a four, um, mainly just because so much of it is dedicated to the same, you know, four or five people that I was just kind of done with it at that right. point. So, but presentation wise and stuff, definitely as good as that's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, it's more technical, and I like technical. Agreed. But, yeah. Very cool. Well, I mean, hey, we did it. What do you know? Oh. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. Yeah, so next week, uh, so that does definitely brings us to the end of our That's Entertainment series. Uh, next week, we are going to be picking up with the uh, final four installments in the last Batman Standing series. And again, that's going to be me and Blaine jumping in to do the assist on that. We'll be doing our uh, special... Uh, discussions with Matt and Tim, of course, with uh, Blaine jumping in the Tim spot since it's the last Batman standing thing. And we look forward to finally getting that series caught up and being good to go. And so without any further ado, I believe it is now officially time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said... That he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. It's it's a cutting cutting it's a Chomp don't want to help, chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive-ass dude don't got no brains in it.
Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at NetTwit12345. And, of course, come aboard that ever makes you super highway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Search Radio, as well as track us down on other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, we'd love to have you do that. Head on over to Patreon.com and check us out over there. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Sid Sharice, I get to say this. If I had to give up either acting or dancing, I'd choose to keep dancing. Take care, cinephiles, and Matt will talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>